0: Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Morning, morning, morning. This feels uh, like it's been a long time, but it feels good. Feels good. Um, like we said before, my granddad's here today. I call him pop Derek Pierce. Good to have you here. long time coming, eh um, I actually remember um, i 'm going to pray first sorry i 'm going to pray first. Um, Lord, thank you for this opportunity and um, thank you for every opportunity we get to declare how good you are, Lord, and um, declare what you 've done for us Jesus and I just pray that your holy Spirit would guide everything for your glory. And for the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Awesome. So, I remember my granddad um, taking my sister and I to Queen Street. Uh, while he street preached, we would hand out tracts to people. Um, and I must have been probably 10 years old. My sister would have been about eight. Um, and we loved it. We loved, we loved being around him. Um, knowing my, my pop, he probably took us for some ice cream and a hot chocolate afterwards. Probably before and afterwards. You love a good treat, eh? <laughs> one, of the, one of the many reasons that we love him. Um, and a few weeks ago, my nana, so my pop's wife, um, she said, look, uh, a guy that we used to have home church with, Philip, um, he's, he's actually still preaching in that same spot, and he's just started up again after the lockdown, and, um, she just mentioned it, I think, yeah, she just mentioned it, and I hadn't really said anything about it, but I was, I was wanting to, to, to street preach, I was wanting to go and see someone do it, um, it'd been so long, and, uh, so I, uh, gave Philip, and uh, sent him an email, asked if I could tag along, and he said, yeah, of course, I hadn't seen him in so many years, um, and, uh, yeah, Philip, a suitable name for an evangelist. Hey, he's, right on, he's on the right track. And, um, and I tried to make it clear to him that I was just there to watch. <laughs> I'm like, that's it, Philip. I'll hand out a couple of tracks and I'll go, yeah. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so um, he preached. He got up and preached, and he was, he was great. He was heartfelt. He was emotional. He was, yeah, you can tell he cares. And he turned straight around to me and said, cool, now it's your turn. <laughs> And I was like, whoo, Uh, part of me wanted to. I'd prayed about it on the way up. I kind of, I was expecting it, but I'll be honest, I just, I couldn't get the words out. I I was handing tracts out to people, I was having conversation, but I stood there and I, I just couldn't, I I was on the way back, I was kind of like, what happened there, Lord, what's going on? And I think I, um, to be honest, at the heart of it, I think I was just a bit afraid about how people would receive it. Um, I, I think I felt like I knew what I had to say and I felt a little bit like they weren't going to want to hear it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my story for the last couple of weeks, but I, um, I'm happy that, that the apostles in particular, Peter feared a lot better than me when they first stood up and preached the gospel. So that's in Acts two. Last week, Murray introduced us, um, he walked us through, you know, the, the patience of the disciples, their prayer life, their togetherness as they were preparing for the Holy Spirit, um, and he, uh, he introduced us to the, the start sorry, of Peter's sermon. Um, so that's, I'm picking up in Acts 25, partway through, Acts 2.25, sorry. Um, so if you want to, yeah, flick there, and Jamie, I don't have a clicker, are you in control? Slide number one. Yes. Um, So I'm going to start off. So Peter's saying here, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So Peter's referring to a scripture. He's referring to um, Psalm 16, 8 to 11 that King David wrote. Um, And although it's kind of applicable to David as well as a saint, it's actually referring mostly to Jesus, um, of whom David was a type of saint. so I imagine that the crowd would have pricked up their ears at this point. Um, he's talking about David, beloved David, um, the patriarch, the leader, the father figure. Um, and I'm sure you've heard it here before, probably from me as well, that, that many Jews thought the Messiah would be just like David. Um, a warrior, a rescuer um, from the brutal Roman Empire. David, this man after God's own heart. But as Peter points out, in the following verses, David struggled with something that we all do, death. Um, the latest stats actually show that 10 out of 10 people die. Um, I know, scary, eh? It's actually been trending like that for a while. Um, <laughs> so, so David, like everybody else, was dead and buried. And in verse 29, it, it, it says that his tomb, his scepter or his tomb is actually still with them today. They knew where he was. They knew he was still there. But Peter goes on to say in verse 30 that David knew this day was coming. He knew that the Messiah was going to come from his family line. God had promised it to him. Um, in Samuel 2 and in Psalms 132, God promised that he's going to raise him up a son whose throne and kingdom would be established forever. And that wasn't. That wasn't Solomon. He was, of course, talking about Jesus, um, who would be different. See, Jesus would know death, but he wouldn't know decay. Um, the part we read actually in verse twenty-seven about not allowing your holy one to see corruption, I, I found quite interesting because, although I believe it's a reference to Jesus being perfect and and knowing no sin, it actually also references the old temple practice, Old Testament temple practice that that a, a sacrifice that was more than three days old wasn't allowed to be eaten. Let's uh, in Leviticus, so it's, it's actually it's, it's considered unclean if it's more than three days old. So Jesus being the, the sacrifice for sin, he was in, in the tomb for just the right amount of time. Uh, any longer would have been considered unclean. Um, so God's timing and organisation of things just keeps blowing me away, to be honest, reading this. It's like he nails every little point. The deeper you go... Sorry the deeper, um, the the more details he's got, he's got nailed. Um, now, I'm pretty sure that this whole COVID thing's probably been hard on lots of people. Um, and to me personally, and I would say to Juliet as well, uh, we were no exception. Um, to me, it felt like quite cruel timing um, in our life. Um, Juliet and I had finally gotten to like the fun stuff of planning a house. Um, we were you know uh getting kitchens designed and choosing what flooring we we're going to have and what's this going to look like and what's the color of this and what cladding and and they're, we're getting 3D models done up and they're showing us through the house and it's it's um yeah it just it was all starting to become quite real and we felt like oh maybe we maybe we can have this um the bank had signed off on everything i i got i just received a company car um everything just felt it was it was rosy i felt good i felt like oh yeah i'm I've got joy in these, in these things. Um, but once the lockdown was announced, everything just felt super fragile. Um, I wasn't even sure I was gonna have a job when it was all over. My bosses were really worried about what was gonna happen. People were saying we might be in lockdown for six months, maybe even a year. Um, and, uh, and we were pretty confident Julia wasn't gonna have a job. Um, I remember thinking, God, have I done something wrong? Um, Have I displeased you in some manner? And I was trying to press in, but I wasn't really feeling much at all. God just felt far away. Um, And meanwhile, other people in my life who were giving me advice just seemed to be flourishing. They're digging deep. They had vision and purpose, and it just felt like God was pouring out these blessings and favor on them. That's what it looked like to me, and I was really struggling to be happy for them. Because all I could see is kind of where I, was, where I was and where they were. And I'm just like, what is this? What, why is there this, this divide? I, I thought, it's not fair. I'm sacrificing things. I'm trying to consistently read the Bible. I'm, I'm trying to fast and to pray. I'm holding up my end of the bargain. Where's the love? <laughs> Where's the joy? Where's the vision? Where's the purpose? Because that's what I was lacking too. I felt I'm like, well, what is this? What does this mean? Why I can't do cap? I can't. I can't go to church. Like, where, what's the? Where is this? Where's my purpose? I, I do cringe a little bit reading this because I feel like a a whiner, a big whiner. But that's how I felt. Um, and I'll be honest, for a few bleak moments, I considered packing it all in. I was thinking, um, if this is what life's going to be like. Then, then I'm out. Um, if I can't get any pleasure from the things I used to get pleasure from, and I can't get any joy from being a Christian, then what's the point? I'm getting, yeah, the worst of both worlds. Uh, and if I'm sad and miserable all the time, then who's going to want to be like me? Who's going to see Christ in me? Who's going to want to follow the path that I'm following? Um, and after a particularly dark day, when, when I'll be honest, I... I gave in to some lustful temptations, something which I thought was well and truly in the past, Um, something which I was becoming quite proud of being able to resist. Um, I was struck by the gravity of how little my solo efforts contributed in the fight against sin. Um, I simply couldn't do it. I didn't have it in me. Um, I felt the Lord say over those following days that my foundations were wrong. Um... (laughs) Now, as many of you know, I work in construction. If you get the foundations wrong, uh, you're in for a world of hurt. It's kind of like the worst thing that can happen, pretty much. Um, Concrete cutting, jackhammering, lots of dust. Uh, It's not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) It's not what I wanted to hear. I just wanted to hear that he loved me, and that I was doing everything good. I was going to be fine. This was just a rough patch. Um, I believe that I deserve that. I believe that I'd earned that um, and it got me thinking I wonder if anyone in the crowd at Pentecost that day Was feeling the same way um, Acts 2.5 says that the crowd that gathered Were dem- uh, devout Jews Committed Jews These weren't, weren't the, the, the fringes They were the ones who were, who were probably keeping the law And probably holding fast to it um, But maybe they'd been relying on their own efforts Towards righteousness as well If so Peter was about to drop the hammer on everyone listening. Are you ready? Are you still with me? Good, because I've kind of just started. <laughs> so in verse 32 onwards, of slide two, please. This is Peter, and he gets up. Well, he's, he's already got up, but he, he goes on to say, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witness, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly or with confidence that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Boom. If they had microphones back then, I'm sure Peter would have dropped us, walked off. would have been great. I was actually tempted to do it here. Um, but yeah, Jamie's shaking his head. Yep, Samuel's right there. You probably would have caught it, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. But hey, quite the change of attitude for Peter, eh? Last we kind of hear of Peter, he's denying Christ, running out into the night, crying. Um, now he's standing up in front of all these people that were probably there when Jesus cru- was crucified. They were probably the ones calling for him to be crucified and telling them exactly what they did and to whom they did it. Peter had gone through his own kind of resurrection. He had been born again and the boldness of the Holy Spirit was, was in action. Do you want some of that? Because I know I shall sure do. And what was the response of this this crowd that was listening? If you go to the next slide, please. Oh, no, I haven't got that slide. Uh, In the King James Version, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And in the New King James Version, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were grieved. They were sorrowful. They were probably a bit scared. The Holy Spirit was stirring their hearts to repentance. Now, why is Jesus being crucified? Because of us. He was a sacrifice for all of our sins. Now, Paul says in Romans 3.23 that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. He goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. Death is what we've earned. That's, that's our wages for what we've, what we've done. We've all failed to live up to God's righteousness and holiness, and our sin separates us from him. So at this time of Pentecost, the Jews were celebrating a solemn festival, uh, Shavuot. That's the way to say it. I've listened to it on Google a hundred times, and it's still probably wrong. But this, this festival was known as the Festival of Weeks, or Pentecost. And it was a festival to celebrate the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And it was also to remember the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So the law and the word of the prophets would have been getting read and read aloud throughout the whole of Israel and especially in Jerusalem. The Ten Commandments are known as the moral law and Jesus often used them in his discussions with others. You all might remember the rich young ruler, Mark 10, comes to Jesus and said, Good Master, what must I do to, re- to receive eternal life? Jesus turns around and says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. And I've got here, did you know there are actually 40 different definitions of good in the dictionary? And the first one is moral excellence. So Jesus runs, runs him through a, a few of the Ten Commandments. And the young man replies, Yes, I've, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. What? So Jesus ups the ante on him. He says... Go away, sell everything you have, and then come and follow me. And what does a rich young ruler do? He goes away sad, for he's got great possessions. He'd broken the first commandment. His money had become his God. He wasn't as good as he thought. The law is like a mirror for both God and man. So in the law, we see a true reflection of God's character. That reflection reveals that God is holy and righteous. He demands justice for wrongdoing, as every good judge should. In the law, we also see a true image of ourselves. Our inability to keep the law reveals our inadequacy. For the law clearly reveals that we do not measure up to God's standard of holiness and righteousness. Something in us prevents us from measuring up. And according to Romans 3.20, that something is sin. So a mirror can be helpful to show you if your face needs washing, but it cannot be used to wash your face. No one in their right mind would take a mirror and rub it on their face to remove dirt. (laughs) So as a nation, Israel had rejected him whom God had sent. The people of Jerusalem had gone further. They'd actually consented to his death. They would cried, "Crucify, crucify, crucify him! Crucify him!" The Jews had ex- had exclaimed, "Our blood be on, uh, let his blood be on us and on our children." And even when they were given a chance to release a prisoner um, from the governor Pilate, they chose Barabbas. They chose a convicted murderer rather than the innocent Jesus. But we shouldn't be dwelling in the sins of those long dead. We should be considering the times that we've chosen Barabbas over Jesus. The times we've set up idols in his place. If you could go to slide three, please, Jamie. By giving our time and attention to anything but him. The times we've lusted after the things of this world rather than the things of God. The times we were jealous of the things others had instead of being content with our own blessings. We've all lied, we've all stolen, we've coveted, we've desired other people's possessions. We've, I'm assuming a lot of us committed adultery. I have because I've looked upon people with lust. We've, and if we've hated someone in our hearts, the Lord said, you've murdered in your heart. The list goes on. <laughs> we've all fallen short. We've all racked up a, up a debt that we couldn't possibly pay. And we keep incurring interest every day. That's the bad news. <laughs> Who knows that there's some good news? Yeah. Recently, I was driving on my way to a prayer meeting in Gordington and I, um, I prayed aloud to God in the car. I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this kind of roller coaster of temptation and then sin and then guilt and then repentance all over again in the next month and the next week or whatever. Um, You deserve better from me, and I don't know how to give it to you. Now, something in me shifted that night. I felt it almost instantly. Um, And later on that night, someone prayed for me that I'd have a revelation of God's love for me. I hadn't told these guys anything about what I was struggling with. I was actually barely said anything that night. Um, Another friend then sent me a video link. It was actually a portion of a uh, documentary called American Gospel. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I'd highly recommend it. Um, And it was exactly what I needed to hear. It um, It was a reminder that if God chooses to bless me with cars and houses and children and good health and plenty of money, hey, that's great. But it's not a reflection of how much he loves me. The cross is. Though through the cross I get redemption for my sins, I get eternal life and I get my original purpose back. Restoration of the fellowship and relationship with God, my creator. See, God is both the gift, both the giver and the gift. All this other stuff is just small perks in a short, short life. And for me in particular, and I'm sure there's others, I I feel like we're getting a dangerous habit of measuring God's love for us by the current state of our lives. Um, then we feel if our lives are a bit lacking, we attempt to bribe him with some good behavior for a while until things straighten out again. well maybe that 's just me <laughs> and do you know why I kept on struggling with sin because I loved it. Only a greater love could displace its place in my heart, and there 's no greater love there 's no greater display of love than God himself forsaking. All of his glory and majesty in heaven to come down here to be despised, to be ridiculed, to be abandoned, to be separated from his heavenly father, to give his life for us. Simple, way. Tend to complicate things, (laughs) but profound beyond measure. See, I was proud of my previous achievements in the fight against sin. But God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Charles Spurgeon once said, Let it be seen that those of us who confess that without their Lord they can do nothing are able with his aid to do everything. When David slept with Bathsheba, he broke all of the Ten Commandments at once. After this, he wrote Psalm 51. If I could go to that slide four, please, Jamie. And in that, he said, For thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I'd give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, will thou not despise. David knew that it was a heart issue, and that no amount of sacrifice would be acceptable to God if his heart wasn't in it. That's what God wants for us. He wants from us our hearts. And 2 Corinthians 7.10, this is Paul writing, and he said, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but sorrow of the world produces death. We should repent not because of the pain our sin has caused us or what it cost us, but because of what it cost Jesus to set us free from it. And that day at Pentecost, there were 3,000 hearts that were prepared to receive the message of the gospel. They knew the law, they knew they had fallen short, they'd taken part in crucifying an innocent man, and not just an innocent man, their Messiah. They asked Peter and the other apostles what they should do. Slide five, please, Jamie, and he responds in verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In John seven thirty nine, it says that the Holy Ghost was to be poured out when Jesus was glorified. And I believe that if we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need to glorify Jesus. To truly glorify Jesus, we need to grasp what he did for us on the cross and remind ourselves and each other of that each and every day. He defeated death and rose from the dead, and through his victory, we can all have eternal life. So Jesus said in John 16 that when the Spirit has come, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So godly sorrow and repentance brings us to a realization of how much we need Jesus and what he did on the cross. No one is going to take medicine for a disease that they don't believe they have. Now we must trust in Jesus for salvation. We must trust in his death for our sins and trust in his resurrection. We must trust in him like we would trust in a parachute. You don't just believe in a parachute. You put it on. <laughs> you put your full faith in it. It's a difference between you living and dying. Putting your faith in your own efforts is like jumping out of the pain and flapping your arms like crazy. It just won't work. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like a bit of a hard balance, though, eh? It feels very easy to swing, one way or the other, either being too legalistic or too liberal. I think the adversary clearly wants us to get tied up with legalistic salvation of works mantra, and the reason I think that is because that's what the majority of other religions preach. Um, but we know that God is serious about sin, or else he wouldn't have sent Jesus. I think the balance balance gets a bad rap in Christian circles. Some people liken it to being a lukewarm Christian. But we live in an incredibly balanced creation, so it makes sense that balance should play a part in our Christian walk. Charles Spurgeon, again, you can tell I like him. I believe he was the one that said, we should be right in the middle of legalism and liberalism, a place he called liberty. We must love and live out of that, and then people will truly see Christ in us. So maybe the last couple of months have been a great success in your walk with God. Maybe you're already walking freely in the knowledge of what Christ did for you. Good. I'm glad. And I feel like I can finally say that sincerely. I want to leave you with a challenge, and that's slide six. Please, Jamie. might be a bit hard to read, but I'll read it out. Uh, This is a quote from a famous Las Vegas magician. His name's Penn Jillette. You might have seen him from Penn and Teller. He's a very outspoken atheist. But he said something about sharing the gospel that I consider very profound. Now, he uses the word proselytize. I can barely even say it. I'm going to substitute it with evangelize or spread the gospel because that's what it means. This is what he said I've always said that I don't respect people who don't spread the gospel. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't spread the gospel and who say just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate someone not to spread the gospel? How much do you have to hate someone to believe eternal, eternal, everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is far more important than that. Quite a challenge, eh? And that's from an atheist. (laughs) Now maybe the last couple of months of yours have been like mine. And in the light of your sin, you want to come before the Lord in repentance, please don't leave without asking for prayer. I'd love to pray with you. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then today you could experience liberty like never before. God has promised to cleanse you of your sins and make you a person of his pasture, a sheep of his hand. If today you will hear his voice. If that's you, please come to the front after closing again. i would love to talk with you and pray with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to be thankful for, but nothing more than the sacrifice and resurrection of your precious Son, Jesus. Oh, we ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we may live out our faith in the full knowledge of this act, and we may be bold in proclaiming it for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.